Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind Podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. Today we are revisiting a panel talk that we hosted together with Polestar in Helsinki a few weeks ago. We were invited to co-host Polestar Talks Design, bringing together some of the leading voices in the Finnish design community. What is the role of the designer? What challenges and opportunities are the design community facing today? And what responsibility does the designer have in solving our most pressing issues? These were some of the questions we tried to answer in a series of conversations, the first of which we are going to listen to today. The speakers on today's panel is Laura Juslin, fashion designer and co-founder of Juslin Manola, and Tej Chohan, London-born industrial designer working in his own studio in Helsinki. Together, Laura and Tej discuss what responsibilities they have as designers with regards to sustainability, how fashion and architecture can merge into one design experience, and the need for emotive design. They also talk about their advice to young designers entering the business. I had a great time hosting these talks at Polestar's showroom in Helsinki, Finland. I bring you Laura Juslin and Tej Johan. Enjoy. As I mentioned, we have so much design talent here tonight, and we have designers from uh, many different uh, disciplines also. Um, so. I thought I'd start with you, Laura, because you have a very interesting approach with your studio, working both with fashion and with architecture. Can you explain that to begin with? How does that work? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, my background is in fashion, and um, I work together with archi- architect Lili Maunula, and uh, actually it was a happy uh, a creating company usually Maula was a happy coincidence actually and happened spontaneously uh, we both studied in Aalto but multidisciplinarity and uh, finding a new approach to to design had been in both of our uh, both in our minds uh, so everything kind of clicked when we came to talking and decided to try a collaboration together And uh, from the day one, we knew that we would love to work in fashion, but we wanted to find a new approach to garment and fashion as a whole, because uh, we thought that everything in fashion has been done and seen, and, and uh, people are looking for more than just the product. They are looking for full experiences. So that's how we we kind of started. We started to create those magical magical experiences that arise from the connection of uh, of garment and the space around it. And we thought the high-quality uh, spatial uh, design can really evoke feelings, and, and that's what we wish to do. And that's still the common thread in, in our work. So we kind of blurred blur the lines between fashion and architecture. And yeah, I think it could be helpful maybe give an example of how does a... Because I, when, when we started getting to know each other, I yeah. couldn't even picture it in my mind. How does a fashion designer and architect work together to... What does a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical project look like? Yeah, in, in practice, the multidisciplinarity means that we are not limited by scale or material. Instead, we are easily able to 
transform or uh, scale our ideas into variety of forms, be it like small jewelry or garment or uh, space, spatial uh, design or anything. And uh, the, the architect's way of thinking is really strict. The form has to follow the function, where, whereas fashion needs no explanation. So it, it can exist just for aesthetic reasons. And our uh, thinking is somewhere between these two extremes, I think. I still want an example. What does how it... we, it's, a, it's very difficult to articulate even. It's a, cause, um, we have got some kind of a brainwash from, from the school. Mm. That, uh, I, I got some like fashion uh, thinking brainwash and uh, Lily from architect calls our it's very difficult to say. We combine these, hmm. these two thinking together. We kind of, we combine colors and textiles and materials into three-dimensional works that kind of shows the very specific combination of our skills and educations. It's very difficult to describe it. It's worth noting that you both do uh, projects for clients, yes. and you also have your own products. Yes. How does that balance look like? Uh, well, we started with products, actually, and then quite organically we ended up working together with companies. Um, now we are back to products, actually, because we started to uh, work with sustainability issues. And uh, now uh, the core or the starting point of our work is to find use for discarded material. So uh, we, that's why we work for both uh, for our own products and the, with companies. But it's, it's uh, difficult to share the time between the projects. We're going to get back to, to your work with sustainability yeah. and how you work with uh, dead stock materials yep. and so forth. But I want to uh, invite Teish into the, the talk here. Uh, Teish, you have uh, described your approach to design as emotive industrial design. Tell us what you mean about that. Well, we try to move beyond the kind of prerequisites of form and function and form following function to focus more on feeling, you know, how an object or an environment makes us feel. <clears throat> We're all visual people and, you know, that's quite, it's quite an easy concept for all of us to understand this, but, um, you know, my interest is in trying to create feeling through objects, but for broad audiences, mm. for people like my dad, who's not a designer, but still, uh, he doesn't understand how he responds to something, he just responds to something. and. You know, I think most of most of us are like that, except us. But you know, the other us. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the way an object looks and you know is a big part of that experience. If it doesn't perform a function. You know, it's an ornament. It's you know, if it if it doesn't work as a piece of functional design, it's not a piece of functional design. So, you know, those things are quite obvious for us. But trying to sort of pinpoint what makes somebody you know take a second look when you're walking past 
a row of mobile phones, you know, how do you create that kind of focal point? How do you encourage people to, or not encourage, how do you just craft that into what you're doing so that when you walk past something, it's like, whoa, what the fuck is that? You know, because we, we work with big clients who, you know, for mass manufacture, right, millions and millions of units, and they have lots of competitors. And, you know, we design products that will sit beside, on a shelf beside, 10 other competitors or 20 other competitors, whether it's a kettle or a toast or a phone or whatever it is. So, you know, we sat down a few years ago and trying to figure out what are we bringing to this party? You know, what's, what's different? And what, what, what is it that we do? And it is that focal point of feeling, trying to strategically craft that into all of the experiences that we create, whether it's a paperclip or whether it's a glass or a table or a phone or a pair of sneakers, it doesn't matter. The, the process is the same. It's trying to understand how to make people engage. That's Maybe it's helpful to give a little bit of a historical context to your career and how you got into this, because you're an industrial designer. Uh, people can hear from your accent, you're not from here, but you've, you've uh, lived there for quite some time, also working for one of the most iconic Finnish companies, Nokia. Uh, talk a little bit about your career and this type of projects you've done as, a, as an independent yeah, designer. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I graduated, I won't tell you when, but it was a long time ago, uh, from St. Martin's in London. And um, I worked as a freelance designer for five years for people at like British Airways and the Body Shop and Japanese fashion designer Michiko Koshino and all sorts of different kind yeah, types of projects and uh, stuff that we were doing, but no technology. We hadn't done any technology. Well, I hadn't done any tech in that five years after leaving college. So then when Nokia um, approached and said, you know, can you come for an interview? And, oh, yeah, that, that's quite interesting. Um, uh, let's go and see what that's about. But I'd been, I'd been used to working for myself for five years. You know, I didn't want to wake up at nine, you know, get to an office for nine o'clock and leave at six o'clock. I don't work in that way. But I went and the interview was great. And we met you know, so many nice people there. And I thought, oh, I could do this. I'll do it for a year or two. And if I don't like it, you know, I'll just, I'll just leave. And then I was there for like almost six years. And so then I left. Um, I set up my own practice in 2005. And we started doing a lot of consumer tech, and yeah, now I run that practice, and we have clients like Nike and Lexus and Tesco and small comp startups, small companies, big companies. So we do all sorts of stuff from um, big hospitality projects to watches and eyewear and. Throughout the course of your career, and, and <clears throat> you mentioned your approach with emotive design, has, how has that changed during the years when you've been working as a, an independent designer? I, wouldn't, I would say it's developed. I think that was always there because I couldn't... I think part of the fun of you know, designing is, is uh, creative expression hmm. and understanding how to channel that in a commercial sense you know, was... You know, that has taken... That's an ongoing process, you know, uh, that has started off 25 years ago and is still continuing. Um, but, you know, even at Nokia, you know, we were talking very much about experiences and we were talking about it's not just about, you know, that. It's about what goes with it. It's the packaging, it's the story, it's the narrative, it's the accessories, it's the whole, whole situation, right? And easy way to, you know, uh, 
an easy example is you know with Apple. You know, with, uh, talking about experiences, you have uh, an ob you have the packaging, you have which is a real waste of packaging, by the way. And then you have this you know beautiful object, and then you have a piece of software which kind of immerses you in that kind of world. So. And yeah, we have just been sort of developing on that over you know 20 years to um, shit. What was the original question, man? I, don't <laughs> I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about the the, the role of, of the designer. And uh, Laura, I, I want to have you talk about the work with with sustainability. But before I ask you that, can you uh, recognize yourself in in what Tayshia is saying that you, it's about creating an experience because that's got to be a part of you know, combining fashion and architecture? Yeah, I think uh, the experience comes from the, the combination of our, our um, specific skills and the, the specific educations. That's how we, because that's how we started. We, we knew that we needed more than just the product, that we needed something around the product. Yeah, that's how, we, how it all began. Yeah. So. So, talk about this recent pivot to, you, you, you mentioned to me beforehand that you, you're like 100% working with sustainability right now, specifically in making dead stock fabrics come alive. Can you describe how this came about and, and why you've gone so full, full on into it? Yeah, because uh, during previous years, the fashion companies have been dealing with the issue of what to do with unsold, unwanted uh, products and dead stock fabrics. And uh, if, the, if it's really expensive to store those, and if they don't sell, what can be done with the products that not, no one seems to want? So we uh, tackled this issue uh, already, already a couple of years ago. But then one year ago, uh, a Finnish uh, in, interior uh, textile company contacted us and asked what could they, what could they do with the like massive stock of of uh, discarded textile. They had like thousands of meters, like kilometers of of uh, fabrics, really high quality, uh, but the, but they were from 90s and 80s, so no one wanted to. No, no one. Um, those were not appealing anymore for a client or for uh, for them either. So uh, we took a challenge to design an interior textile collection out of, of those fabrics uh, with like random colors, random uh, style, random uh, amounts. And uh, the obvious starting point for the design process was uh, it was a really strict limitation of uh, working with what was available for us. So we we started to combine, uh, we, we wanted to create visual effect, effects of, of lights and shadows through combining uh, similar, co similar colors in different degrees of, of darknesses, um, all from a really uh, limited amount of colors. And um, I think th through correct uh, proportions, uh, of textile and, and the colors, we managed to elevate even the least attractive fa fabrics into beautiful products. So I think, I feel that our design gave a genuine new purpose to the discarded material. And uh, the material 
could be from the con construction industry as well, the, the industry that generates the most waste. Uh, for example, my, my bag here is made of stainless steel uh, mesh that is used for, uh, for um, keeping pests from ventilation and away from your home. So I'm very uh, sure that all materials like wood, glass, paper, rubber, we could definitely turn those into something beautiful. So that's how we are going to continue the design work from now on. Has this changed the way you view your role as a designer, working so much with, with mm. uh, dead stock materials or recycled materials? I would say that we are looking for problems in a way. Like, uh, we used to start with products, we, the concept of course, but then, then we, uh, we had a product in mind and then we looked for a material that is as sustainable as possible, and then we created a product. But nowadays, we, we are going to the problem, like what, what can we do for this uh, waste problem? Or mm -hmm. So the starting point is a bit different. So we don't want to create products, but we want to find new uses for discarded materials. Tej, I know you've been involved with, with projects also, and I, I, you can talk about this to the extent you can in terms of uh, the client, but you, I know you've been involved with projects that have specific sort of sustainability uh, uh, preconditions. Can you talk about the, how that changes your perspective on, a, on, on creating something? Yeah, I mean, whenever you start work on a brief, um, you know, you need to understand the kind of parameters with which you're working and so you know like where the boundaries are and where you can push and where you can challenge those boundaries, right? So we were doing, doing a big project for um, a big UK telco you know, last year, um, creating a whole sort of DNA system for all of their routers and you know, all of these things that you're going to find in most UK homes. And, um, but they were very strict in terms of the kind of materials they wanted to use. And on the one hand, you know, we could only use certain types of plastics. And on the other hand, they were saying, oh, but can you be innovative with the material? And I'm like, well, fucking hell, make your mind up. You know, it's like, with, we could, there was some types of plastic we could use, but we were also trying to encourage them to use materials they wouldn't have thought of before, like, you know, those recycled sheets with different colors and cork and all this kind of stuff that you wouldn't normally find in a, in a technology project. So, um, I would say that it has worked with varying, varying success uh, on, on, on that project. But, you know, we're doing a packaging project at the moment. You know, I'm really interested in, like, how to create premium packaging experiences, like an Apple experience, but without all that horrific waste. I mean, I still cannot understand Apple packaging. You know, there's a whole manufacturing line that is built for, with moldings just for the packaging, which you then bin. I don't understand that, how that works these days. So. You know, uh, we're doing a little bit of work around that at the moment as well. So, we are soon running out of time, but I wanted to get the chance to uh, have your um, to talk to maybe a younger generation of designers. We have some students here tonight. I know. Uh, what would your any advice or or uh, just recommendations or tips be to young designers going into uh, the industry today? Maybe Tace, you wanna you wanna start. Uh, um, I think we're always learning. We're still, you know, every one of us is still 
learning, so life is just one meandering journey, you know, and kind of design life is like that as well. Um, the one, one thing I would say is kind of figure out what you enjoy doing and what you're good at and kind of learn how to do that really well and learn how to talk about what you do because part of what we're doing is spreading the message of what we're good at and how we can bring value somehow to the, the people that we collaborate with and work with. Laura, how about you? Uh, challenge the convention. Uh, you, you should recreate how the product is, is experienced. And uh, um, I think it's good if the product or concepts have an element of surprise. And this, this is easy to achieve through the use of unconventional materials, for example. Or you should look at the materials and the colors without preconceived notions of how they should be paired. And uh, I would also say that, that it's, uh, it's a good to um, kind of follow the, the phenomena, not to be on trend, but to avoid being too trendy. So it's very good to like, uh, know what has been made, uh, what is now, and what could be, and understand the connection. And through that uh, knowledge, you can create your own world and have something to say, I would say. That was a much better answer. <laughs> Do your homework, kind of. Laura Yuslin, Tess Johan, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olsen. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement.